Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I'm coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. And today, we've got some things to talk about with regards to vaccines and mask mandates. But also, I want to start off by thanking the 14 people I recently sent out a copy of my manuscript to for And This Is Why We Homeschool, my forthcoming book on the subject of why our family uh, homeschools in particular, but also why we think you very well maybe should as well. So 14 people I emailed a copy of the manuscript to recently. I have gotten feedback from several of them anyways, uh, saying, yes, you know, you can put us down to read the whole thing, to read a certain section, uh, you know, reading some of it or all of it or skimming it. And so what I'm going to do with the feedback I get from those 14 people is I'm going to be in earnest the last two weeks of December editing the book in preparation for uh, publishing. I have looked into it a little bit, and I think initially my assumption was that traditional publishing was the way to go. But the more I look into it, the more I am thinking self-publishing might just be a better option and it's actually easier than I was expecting. Kindle Direct Publishing is looking pretty good for a route. We'll see if I can get suggestions or encouragement from anybody to go with a particular publisher. I might go that route, but again, we'll see. In any event, I am hoping this book is published early in January, perhaps January 1st, 2021, and that this provides a resource for parents who are homeschooling to encourage them to remember why it is that they're homeschooling. If it gets hard, when it gets hard, they read this book and they say, hey, this is, yeah, exactly why we homeschool and we should keep on doing it. And maybe if some things that we do are distracting from that main purpose, maybe we go back to the drawing board and we recalibrate a little bit. Parents that are considering homeschooling their kids, they're just uh, distressed by the state of American public education, may read this book. I hope they read this book and they say, hey, that is persuasive. That is why we also will be homeschooling our kids in the coming years. But also, I think for parents that are considering homeschooling, that are homeschooling, if they have family and friends themselves who are confused or uncertain or unclear as to why they homeschool, this book can be something that would be put in their hands to say, this is it. This is why we homeschool as well. So it's specific to my wife's and my reasons, particularly my reasons for homeschooling, but also my wife's. And so there is a, a sense in which this is why we specifically homeschool. All of the reasons may not be compelling to all the people. That's fine. But I want it to be broad-based enough, and I think there's enough common ground with homeschoolers that I know that they'll pick up this book and they'll say, yeah, that's why we homeschool as well, and that it'll resonate with them. It'll give them the words and help them to articulate to the people that they know, the, their coworkers, their neighbors, their uh, you know fellow church members, their pastor, whoever. This is why we homeschool as well. It'll give them the language to be able to do that. Or... If not in their personal interactions, they can just hand a copy of my book to the person or send them a link. We're going to have it on Kindle version. We're going to have it on paperback. And I'm planning on recording an audiobook version as well. If I can get that up on Audible and figure out how to get that up on Audible, I will be doing that as well. It's always been kind of a fun little dream of mine to record audiobooks. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and I've been told for years that I have a good voice for radio. That's part of why I got into the podcasting thing. So it's always been an exciting idea to me to record audiobooks. I think that would be a super fun job if somebody approached me and they said, hey, we'll pay you X amount to record audiobooks. I would strongly consider it. I might just do it. So I've got this nice microphone. I've got the editing software. I've got the know-how now with the podcasting to where an hour at a time, I could crank out an audiobook if it's what I expect my audiobook to be in terms of a length of time to read it or to listen to it. 
Uh, it'll be about five hours, four or five hours, which is a decent sized audiobook. That's not too bad. So about four or five sessions, maybe six or seven or eight, depending on how certain uh, recordings go. That will be enough to get my audiobook uh, prepared and recorded and all of that, and then get it uploaded and get it to where you can listen to it as well. If you don't have time, like I don't have time very often to sit down and read a physical book, whether it's on a Kindle, whether it's a paperback, whatever. I'd love to have that kind of leisure time, but I just don't. And yet I have a lot of windshield time. And so if you're like me and you have a lot of windshield time, you have a lot of time driving to and fro different places, the audiobook version will be a way for you to listen to my book, to get through it, and you'll hear it in my own voice, which will be extra fun, hopefully. So associated with that, or closely related to that, I'm really excited this episode of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show to be recording with an uh, arm for my microphone. I bought this arm that I found uh, a re- really good review for on YouTube. I basically just searched for what microphone arms are best for the Blue Yeti. That's the microphone that I have. I've got a Blue Yeti. And there's all kinds of microphones out there. This one in particular is a little bit uh, bigger. And so if you get an arm, you want something that's not going to sag. It's not going to lean down and, and not be able to hold up the weight of this microphone. And so I found a reviewer. He does tech reviews. He suggested this one. He said the arms are extra thick and well-reinforced, and it does a really good job for him. He uses it in his tech reviews. Uh, he uses the Blue Yeti for his recordings, or not just, but but among other microphones, he uses the Blue Yeti. So I ordered that, and I also ordered a uh, really simple, I, get, I didn't realize they were so inexpensive, uh, a little shock mount that uh, you mount the microphone to, and the shock mount is designed so that if I bump the arm accidentally, if I bump into it, knock into it, whatever, it is going to uh, help to um, muffle the noise disruption that that might cause to the microphone. So I've got that now set up on my desk. I'm feeling pretty good about it. I think it's going to help with not having to set up and take down my microphone all the time with each episode. Right now, that's what uh, I'm coming from because I had just the basic uh, desktop mounted set up for my microphone. And because I have so many small children, I didn't want to leave it on my desk all the time, leave it set up all the time, because my kids could walk up and they could adjust the setting. They could adjust the pattern and the volume and the gain and all these things. And then I'd come back and it was all out of whack and I'd have to reset it. And then I'm also worrying, well, hey, what if they grab it and then they knock it off and it gets broken, it gets damaged, they're playing with it. I don't want that. I don't want them trying to, you know, smoosh their modeling clay into the microphone to where all of a sudden it doesn't receive sound and I got to clean that out. So this microphone arm will keep it up out of the way, but I can leave it basically in place. I can just slide it or, or maneuver the arm uh, in such a way to where it's up out of their reach. They'll have to work harder to get to it if they really, really want to, and hopefully they just won't want to. And uh, so, yeah, so that's that. Very excited. We'll see how it does. So far, I feel much more comfortable because I'm sitting up straight. I don't have to either lower my chair to where I'm at the right height for my microphone to get a good uh, pickup. I'm able to sit up straight, and I can just maneuver this thing to wherever is comfortable. I can have it basically in line with my computer screens here in Greeley. So anyway, moving on from the tedium of the things that I'm doing where I'm tweaking, um, you know, I want to share that as I make little tweaks and adjustments. If you're a listener and you're thinking, Hey, you know what? Maybe I would like to podcast someday. If you're curious about how this is evolving, since I've told people every step of the way, this is an experiment. This is not something that I was an instant expert in. I'm sure nobody is an instant expert in. This is an experiment. I like to give you updates as I do things, for one, because it excites me. I am excited to make these little adjustments. And if you're of a similar mindset and you're also looking at doing 
this kind of a thing. If you're just a hobbyist, maybe you uh, you do microphone work for recording vocals, for singing, for you know instrumentation. You make music, whatever. If you just want a better setup for gaming, if you want a better setup for Zoom calls, uh, this arm is pretty nifto, pretty neato keen. It is, it is great. So I'd highly recommend it. It was only twenty bucks. I was thinking they were going to be a lot more. I'm sure. There are gold-plated options that are far more expensive. I did not go with the most expensive one I could find. I went for the budget model that had the best reviews. And this one has really good reviews. So far, I really like it. It's very sturdy. And it's got this neat little arm. I said I was going to stop talking about it. I'm sorry. It's got this neat little arm that you can hang your microphone headphones on. You know, this microphone, the Blue Yeti, it's got a little uh, audio jack in the bottom of it. You can plug headphones in. And then you can listen to the sound of your voice if things are coming in a little bit too loud or whatever. You can hear what you're sounding like as you're recording. That's a neat feature. But uh, you can hang your headphones right there on the base of the arm mount. There's a little hook for it designed specifically for that purpose. It's pretty neat. Anyway, moving on. Let's talk about vaccines, shall we? I was a little bit hesitant to record this episode because I know there's a wide gamut of convictions and uh, ideas and opinions when it comes to vaccines. I was not always aware that that was such a controversial subject. We had our own opinion on it, my wife and I, pretty early on in our marriage. Our first two kids got the whole vaccine regimen because we didn't know that that was the thing that you maybe don't. We were having hospital births. Our first two were hospital births. We just assumed that's what you do. You go to the hospital if you are having a baby, whether there's a problem or not, because it's childbirth. That's what everybody does. So we went to the hospital, had Josiah and Eli there at uh, Miami Valley Hospital in Kettering, Ohio. And when the doctors and the nurses said, okay, here's the shots and we're going to give them vitamin K shot, we're going to give them this and this and this and this and this and this and this, they're just injecting your child. Initially, it was like, what are you doing? Like, that's a lot. And then your child is screaming. Our sons were screaming as they got these shots. And I was just taken aback. Ultimately, you know, I think what started me down the road of being not so comfortable with this, I was taken aback by the fact that our child is just born, and we're so ginger with our child, our newborn child. They're so small and tiny and fragile and, and perfect and wonderful. And then the nurse comes in, and one nurse in particular, she was cleaning up. I don't remember whether it was Josiah or Eli at this point. She was cleaning him up, wiping him down, which, by the way, you don't have to do quite so much. There's this um, kind of natural lotion that a baby is coated with when they very first are born. And it acts as a moisturizer. It helps them to kind of get acclimated when they are a newborn because here they've been suspended in the uterus in amniotic fluid for their whole lives up to that point. They've not been in the open air and dry and all that. And yes, you could put lotions that you buy on your kid, but what if they have a reaction to the lotion? What if it irritates their skin? Uh, also, that's a cost, <laughs> not to be cheap, but... If you don't have to pay for that right away, and if there is a natural sort of a lotion that is on your baby that's there's nothing dirty about it, it's not gross, it's not awful, uh, you know, why be in such a hurry to wipe all that off if you don't have to? Well, the nurse, she's just handling our child as if, uh, you know, they're, they're some object. She's not treating our, our newborn baby as a person, and she's just kind of... She's just kind of rough, and she's kind of just tossing them around, not tossing, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but it seemed to me at the time, I was just horrified, like, you're, you're just not being gentle, you're not being slow, you're not being loving, you're not being, I didn't like it. And so then you add on top of that, the, the baby getting all of these injections. And I, for one, am the type of person that I want to know, what is it you're putting in my kid? What is that stuff? Why are you giving my baby an injection? My baby is perfect. You know, you don't need to put that stuff in him, whatever it is. Just leave him alone. Uh, 
you know, how is it for thousands of years we were okay to not have the very instant we're in the, the broader world, all of these chemicals and unknown substances injected into us, uh, you know, yes, infant mortality has for many years been uh, a feature, and a lot of kids didn't survive to adulthood because they died of various illnesses and ailments. I get that. But a lot of that had to do with uh, not understanding germ theory, not understanding, uh, you know, a lot of things with regards to nutrition. There were just a lot of things that contributed to infant mortality that don't have anything to do whatsoever with vaccination, you know, that have to do more with hygiene and diet and good habits. And so we did research after our first two came out and we gave them the full regimen or the doctors gave them the full regimen and we just kind of went with the flow. That's what people do. And since most people have two kids, most people in this country are probably not doing the research before all of the kids that they will have have had all of the vaccines that the medical community by and large is going to offer or insist upon. Uh, Different doctors and different nurses are pushier than others. And we found that out as we started doing research and asking questions. Some people react with a lot of hostility as if, how dare you, right? How dare you question me? How dare you ask questions of the great and powerful Oz? And you start peeling back the curtain and they get agitated. And it's like, wait a second, you know, if you're such an expert in this, which I presumed you were, that's why I'm asking questions. If you're such an expert in this, then why do you seem so insecure as I'm asking questions? I'm asking questions. If there are good answers, you should know the answers. The fact that you're getting agitated instead of just telling me what I want to know gives me not a warm and fuzzy feeling that you actually know so much as you wanted me to think that you do. And that isn't to say doctors and nurses don't know a lot. They do. But, 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 sometimes experts don't know quite so much as we think that they do. And sometimes the worship of experts is not in our best interest. And we found that out with Dr. Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, Dr. Burks this year, as they were trotted out day after day after day after day as these experts telling us how bad and how dangerous and how deadly the coronavirus was and how we all need to just tuck our head between our legs and kiss our butts goodbye because unless we do every last little thing that they tell us to do, we're all going to die. Well, that bothered me in part because it was obvious the unintended consequences, and sometimes you wonder, are they so unintended? You know, the big great reset that some people will say in the mainstream media, they'll all say, this is a conspiracy theory. This idea of a great reset, which the World Economic Forum, if you go to their own website, if you look up their own videos, in their own words, they are advertising that by 2030, they want to have abolished the idea of private property. They want to abolish capitalism. We're talking about full-blown Marxism. We're talking about the governments of the world and ultimately a one-world government owning the means of production. That's what the World Economic Forum is. It is a one-world government. It is all the governments of the world send their representatives. They get together, their ambassadors talk, their presidents talk, their dictators talk, and they decide together to coordinate they're governing. That is another way of saying that it's a joint government. That's another way of saying it is one big government. I live in Colorado now. Wyoming is to the north. And if the governor of Colorado and the governor of Wyoming get together and they say, hey, you know what? We are all part of the United States of America. They might be separate governments. They're separate states. They're separate governors. They have different people. But I recognize that on a certain level, they are part of one government. So also with this World Economic Forum that is saying we want to do this great reset and oh look at that. COVID is an easy, convenient, intuitive way to accomplish it. If COVID was manufactured, if it was a kind of vaccination against capitalism, if you will, as it, if it was a kind of lever for getting this last dying gasp of capitalism to go the way of the dinosaur, then what do we think about that? What should we think about that? You know, if it wasn't manufactured, if it was 
absolutely a naturally occurring disease, which may be, and they're just using it as an excuse. If, if exploitative people are using the crisis as a way of pushing for things that they wanted anyhow, such as the Green New Deal, such as communism, such as redistributing wealth, such as social justice so-called, which is actually antisocial injustice, but that's an episode in and of itself, which we are not recording at this moment. If all of that is the case, which it certainly seems to be, I don't think you can make a strong argument. To the contrary, I think all you can do is say, that's conspiracy theory and dismiss it out of hand because, you know, like the doctors, when you ask them, Questions about vaccines and the schedules and what's in this and what are the ingredients and isn't that highly toxic? Uh, You know, as so many of them get agitated and get upset and don't want to answer your questions, they just want to tell you to shut up, be quiet, and listen to them because they know what they're talking about. So also with the people that are dismissing the concerns about a great reset as conspiracy theory. If that's the best argument you can provide, then I would refer you back to the episode on Thanksgiving and marriage in which I listed five uh, informal logical fallacies, which are commonly applied. One of them was ad hominem. We talked about argumentum ad hominem. That is the argument against the person. That is when you attack the character of the person making the argument rather than addressing the argument itself. They just said that this is such and such, and we should do such and such, and not XYZ, because XYZ is not advantageous. And the best comeback you can come up with is to say that they're a duty head. That's argumentum ad hominem. You know, now supplement or replace duty head with conspiracy theorist. And you basically have the big idea. That's exactly what it is. If that's the best you can come up with, then you're not building confidence in me that you have a good reason for me to agree with you. I don't find that persuasive. It's not just that you offended my pride. It's that that really does undermine the case for your position. Now, this is also true with regards to the vaccine issue, where if I'm concerned about vaccination and I'm not convinced that we should be putting mercury and therium and, uh, you know, aborted fetal tissue or strains or or cell lines that originally came from aborted fetal tissue, if I'm not convinced that we should be putting activated viruses one after another, after another, after another into our infants, into our babies, or into adults, if I'm not convinced that injecting these substances should be something that you are forced to do in order to live and move and have your being in this world, if I'm actually convinced there are some very significant problems and hazards attendant to that. If you say, I'm anti-science, and that's the best you can do, and you want to leave it at that and just walk away from the conversation, I'm sorry, that's not persuasive. You did not win me over, and you shouldn't have won anybody else over either. It's a cheap trick. It is an informal, logical fallacy. It's as old as the science of rhetoric itself that is what people do and have done it for a long, long time. It can be effective in the sense of getting the uh, means and ends to line up together where you want them to. You might strip support from somebody that you are attacking personally like that. You might get people to stop listening to them that way, but that's not a good argument. It's not a rational argument. It's not a good reason for us to believe the people that make those kinds of arguments. It's just not. So we should do better. We should try harder. We should think. God gave us minds. He didn't just give the experts minds. He gave all of us minds. And we should use that gray matter that's between our ears diligently. We should try and be careful about it. We should try and be circumspect. We should be honorable. We should know what is true and then work from that. And we should be systematic. We should be diligent. Study to show yourselves approved workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, what is the truth? Well, first and foremost, God's word is truth. But secondarily, there's also general revelation. There's special revelation in Christian doctrine. There's this idea that if God's word is the inspired 
transmission of God through his prophets, through his disciples, through his apostles, through his people. You've got all these books, right? Old Testament, New Testament, consistently saying, here's who God is. Here's who we are. This is what the world is like. This is where things are going. This is where we came from. This is what has happened before. This is what is happening now. This is what is going to happen. Get ready. Be prepared. Be on purpose. Live on purpose, etc., etc. As Christians, we believe that that is what is called special revelation. Special revelation means that God made a special effort to reveal these specific things to us. That's what we as Christians believe. As a Christian, I believe God's word, the Bible, is the inerrant, inspired word of God. It may have been written down by scribes of a sort where they were uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit to say the things that they were saying. God ensured that these things were true and they were consistent. He revealed these things to the writers of Scripture, and he basically said, I want you to say this, I don't want you to say that. Say exactly what I tell you to say. Write down exactly what I tell you to write down. And that's special revelation. There's also something known as general revelation, which is when you look in creation, you look at the sun, the moon, and the stars, and they testify to the glory of God. When you look at the wonderful genetic diversity, the biological diversity on this planet, you look at all of the intricate designs for creatures. You look at insects, you look at fish, you look at mammals, you look at reptiles, you look at birds, you look at all of these things that are just extraordinarily complex and beautiful, beautiful and terrible and odd and bizarre and colorful and just in all manner of shapes and sizes and they make all manner of noises and they have all these weird, weird and diverse and strange and wonderful arrangements and they interact with each other in strange ways to create ecosystems, to make the world go round. They all have a purpose. They all were designed with a purpose. And so we know that as Christians, when we look at creation, we get something what is called general revelation. General revelation meaning that we get a general idea about who God is, and we can know truth, generally speaking, from studying the world around us. Now, the scriptures, in terms of special revelation, testify to this, where we read in Romans that the truth about God is plainly known, and that men, through the wickedness that is in their hearts, suppress the truth. They don't want to believe that God is who he is. They don't want to believe that they are created in God's image. They don't want to believe that they are sinful, that they have a sinful nature and that they do things that are wrong, that separate them from a holy and righteous God. They don't want to believe that they're accountable to God. They don't want to believe that there are certain ways that they should live and act and talk and not also. And so they suppress the truth and they come up with theories and they come up with ways of explaining things that purposefully and systematically and ruthlessly strip the rightful credit for the way that the world is, in a good sense, from God and the way that we are supposed to live and act and interact with each other. We strip that from God because we're wicked, because we have this wicked and twisted mind that wants to be in rebellion against God. It's an outgrowth and it's a, it's a byproduct of our sinful nature. Now, general revelation, because... It can be and so often is tainted by our sinful nature and the way that we see things is biased. We have a bias against being accountable to God and being repentant and we have this puffed up uh, response to our own sin. Because of that, we have to be careful when it comes to science. That is something that Christians have believed forever, that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so you might be very smart. You might be very knowledgeable. But if, if you don't fear God, 
then you are not wise. And if you're not wise in that area with regards to God and who he is and how we should relate to him, if you're not wise with regards to giving God credit for the good things, the many good blessings, every good blessing in the world, in our lives, if you're not wise about that, what else do you not understand that you want to pretend you understand? And so when you had Charles Darwin roll out Origin of the Species, and you had this succession of scientists who built on that foundation, that there is no God. And to be fair, Darwin wasn't the one that laid the foundation either. It was a tradition, you know, dating back to his grandfather, Erasmus Darwin, before him. Erasmus just hadn't published a bestseller. It wasn't the right time for that book to be, you know, a bestseller and to go viral, if you will, pun intended. Uh, you know, it's funny. Side note, my son, Eli, I was talking with him the other day as I was finishing up my manuscript for the book, for, and this is why we homeschool. He, uh, he says something to me about, you know, I'm explaining it. He says, so wait a second, could you make money from this book? And I said, yeah, yeah, son, I, I could potentially. I mean, depending on how, how it does, I could make some money. On wow, that's cool. If it goes viral, could you make a lot of money? And I laugh because that was not the, the word that I would have used at his age. That was before the internet before memes and this idea of things going viral in this positive sense, like, oh, you know, I just recorded this video and put it up on TikTok and it went viral. You know, I created this meme and I, I threw it up on Twitter and it went viral. Uh, I'm writing a book on homeschooling and my kid says, uh, that's great, dad. This could make a lot of money if it goes viral. So thanks, Eli. That was great. But uh, <laughs> Charles Darwin's book, on the origin of the species was not uh, the very first of its kind. You had this idea that went back a long, long time that perhaps maybe just maybe all the biological diversity on planet Earth was explained best by lower life forms evolving into higher life forms. And so you get this idea promulgated in otherwise ostensibly and traditionally Christian Europe and all of a sudden, you've got people that are leaving the church because they don't find the account of Genesis compatible with that, rightly so. They don't find God creating the earth and everything in it and the universe, everything in it in six days and resting on the seventh. You don't find that to be compatible with this idea that the earth is millions and millions and millions and perhaps billions of years old and that the biological life on earth is all a product of random chance and random mutations, beneficial mutations, surviving Beneficial mutations allowing certain uh, members of a, of a species to have a competitive advantage, not necessarily that they're stronger. The race does not always go to the swift. But whatever combination of features and qualities and characteristics a creature might have then were making them more suitable to survive. And as they survive and another creature like them survives and they mate, and they have children, or offspring rather, the, the uh, beneficial mutation gets passed on to that offspring, and so on and so on and so on and so forth. Now, Charles Darwin, he was very clear and upfront and honest in saying there were a number of things which if science could not explain as having evolved through this process he was describing, he was theorizing, his whole theory would fall apart. There are certain things that if there isn't an explanation ever, that we can come to that's satisfactory, it really does undermine the whole idea that things just evolved by chance. And so he didn't have the means and the wherewithal to prove or disprove whether those things could evolve by chance. Things just were not uh, in place yet as far as microscopes, as far as understanding of uh, fundamental systems. And to some extent, they're still not, right? We still don't know all of what we might like to know there's still a lot that is unknown, that is theorized, that is guesswork. It might be educated guesswork. It might be very sophisticated guesswork. But at the end of the day, it's still speculation. And we'll, I'm, I'm reading a book, or the first in a very long series of history books by Will Durant. And the name of the first of his epic history of humanity is Our Oriental Heritage. And I've started this book. And everything so far 
is speculation. And if he tells you up front, this is speculation, what I'm going to engage in here is the best anybody can do. That's all we're doing is we're just guessing. We're making educated guesses based on the things that we see, the things that we know. What you need to stop and think about with regards to evolution is that is also a guess. That is maybe an educated guess with regards to some things, some observations have been made of current real-time present phenomena. For instance, Darwin went to the Galapagos Islands and he looked at the biological diversity there and he observed the different kinds of uh, species, the different subspecies of things, and that helped him or led him to, along with his own preconceived notions, write the book that he did. But all of this comes back to the question of general revelation and anti-science accusations and vaccines in this regard. And, and what it comes down to is for Christians, science, meaning knowledge, with knowledge is conscience. That's because science is knowledge. For Christians, our conscience has to be first and foremost informed by God's word. God's word is the special revelation. That's what we believe in. If somebody is saying, well, you need to believe in science, you say, well, what do we know? What do we actually know? And how much of this is guesswork? How much of this is bluff? How much of this is a shell game? How much of this is a rhetorical sleight of hand? How much of this is you just bullying people or the people that you learned from having just bullied everybody else with a better idea into quiet and submission? How much do we actually know and how much of this is just pure, raw, might make smart, right, uh, golden rule, he who makes the gold or he who has the gold makes the rules. How much of this is that? Because the right people with the right money, the industrialists, the men who had the factories that were trying to you know, displace or, or find their seat at the table in terms of political power, for Christians to ask the question of what do we know? What do we actually know? Christians who have studied the word, who are Bereans about things, start with the premise that God's word is truth, that God tells us what the truth is ultimately. Let every man be a liar and God be true. We know that Christians are not perfect either, so sometimes we get it wrong, sometimes we have fuzzy thinking, sometimes we misunderstand or whatever. Somebody claiming to be a Christian could be lying. Somebody claiming to be a Christian could be making things up and then they're just banking on the fact that their reputation as a Christian is going to carry them through. They're a con artist. Uh, read Moliere's Tartuffe for more on that. They're unscrupulous pretenders. They're mountebanks. Now, if we're in that position, if that's who we are, then God help us. God knows better. God knows the truth. So we find, with regards to these claims, that if we have questions about vaccines, we are anti-science, an incredulity on the part of Christians who do their own research, who try to apply what Paul wrote to Timothy, where he says, study to show yourselves approved workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's a, a number of things which we can pick up if we, if we dissect that passage, that call, that encouragement. One is that the truth is very important. The truth is extremely important. We should study to show ourselves approved workmen that need not be ashamed. In other words, if you are not rightly handling the word of truth, not rightly dividing the word of truth, you should be ashamed of yourself as a Christian. If you are just sloppy about it, you're, you're casual, you're flippant, it doesn't really matter, you don't really care, you should be ashamed. And you will. You will eventually be ashamed of yourself because the truth will come out and when it becomes clear that you were casual, you were flippant about it, you didn't really care, you will have egg on your face. So that's one thing. The other thing is to say it's possible to not rightly divide the word of truth. It is possible to misapprehend the truth and to do so because you weren't diligent, you weren't being uh, systematic, you weren't being intentional about it. You weren't applying yourself. And when that happens, then 
a number of problems come into the picture. We stop making good decisions. We stop making informed decisions. We stop making relevant statements. We stop telling other people things that they need to know. We stop being useful. We stop being productive. We start being misguided. We start being foolish. You know, there is a difference between wisdom and knowledge, but wisdom will prompt you to get knowledge. If you are wise, you will try and accumulate information so that you can make wise decisions. You want to have good judgment. It's possible to have all kinds of knowledge and not have wisdom and not have discretion. It's entirely possible to be puffed up and conceited. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so when we're called to fear God, and when God says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, we know that love and wisdom and knowledge and humility and fear of the Lord, all of these things are connected, intimately connected, like the organs in an organism, they have to all be present. If you're missing any of them and you're missing the function of that organ, you don't have a living organism for long. They're not going to make it. So we have to have all of these things. We have, we have to rightly divide the word of truth. We have to study. And so it puzzles me anytime I come across Christians who react, uh, you know, caustically to someone doing their own research. Oh, yeah, you probably read that on the internet, and that's ridiculous, and you should just trust the experts. Well, wait a second. Which experts? What about when all the supposed experts don't agree? Sometimes they don't. Sometimes you have experts who are saying one thing over here. You've got experts over there that are saying something completely different. How do you know who to trust if you do not do some independent research? You start examining the claims of the one and the claims of the other if you don't have some kind of a standard against which to judge and appraise and evaluate competing truth claims. You're going to be confused in your thinking. You're going to be very muddied in your application of competing ideas if you are unable and unwilling for whatever reason, whether laziness, contempt, apathy, ambivalence, fear, to do your own research. So all of this comes back in the last 15 minutes here. We've got, let's talk about vaccines. Vaccines to me are concerning. For one, because I don't trust that everybody who puts on a white lab coat is a good person. Just because they have a doctor title does not mean that they are a good person. It does not mean that they have ethics. It does not mean that they have scruples. It does not mean that they're a moral person. They might have pledged whatever they want to pledge about a Hippocratic oath and doing no harm first. There's a lot of people in white lab coats that have been uh, conducting abortions since Roe v. Wade in 1973. And what with that? What about that? They lied, right? People lie. People can take an oath. That doesn't mean that they're going to abide by that oath. We have all kinds of governing officials that swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States, and then they turn around once they're in office, once they're in position, and they start systematically working to undermine the Constitution of the United States. They ignore it. It doesn't apply. It's not relevant. It was just words. They didn't mean it. So somebody putting on a white lab coat, somebody being on TV, somebody being on the internet, that doesn't make them credible, whether they're saying the things that agree with me or not. So you have to have a way of evaluating the things that they're saying to see whether they're true. And you really do need to consider, is this person reputable? Is this person trustworthy? Why should I trust this person? If they're just saying, take my word for it because I'm an expert, mm, not so fast. If somebody is getting after me because, well, how dare you question the veracity of a doctor? Who are you to question the character of a doctor? Doctors only ever practice medicine for purely altruistic motives. They don't make a lot of money or anything. They don't get wealthy because they're doctors. They don't get all this extra you know, respect in the community just by virtue of being a doctor. What are you talking about? They wouldn't have mixed motives. They're only doing this for your good. They're only saying what they're saying and not saying what they're not saying for your own good. If they're not telling us that they're all concerned about vaccines, that they could potentially be dangerous sometimes, maybe a little bit, depending on 
which ones and if you have underlying health conditions and if there are other extenuating factors and circumstances. If they're not telling you all that, all of them, most of them, I mean, the only reason that they wouldn't tell you all of that is because it's for your own good, right? Maybe. No. Actually, no. Because I believe in science in the general sense, where science is a Latin word meaning knowledge, because I believe that God's word is what we as Christians must first and foremost base our evaluations and our judgments off of. I do not trust what is in the heart of man. You know, there's this brilliant little piece in the New Testament where it says that Jesus did not need to be told what was in the heart of man. He knew. He did not need to be told about man, for he knew what was in the heart of man. He did not entrust himself to men. Even when he goes before Pontius Pilate, even when he allows himself to be, according to the Father's will, arrested, tried on false, trumped-up accusations, convicted, flogged, crucified. Even when all that happens, he says to Pontius Pilate very directly, very bluntly, no power has been given to you except by God. We read that throughout the scriptures. And so we have to ask ourselves with regards to trusting the experts, trusting the science, it's settled science, are we factoring in a godly, biblical understanding of human nature into the way that we listen to people? Now, it's not healthy, it's not loving, it's not appropriate, it's not wise to assume that everybody's always lying to you all the time. That's not good either. Don't do that. But you don't want to be naive. You know, you want to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You want to understand that sometimes people lie. Some people, some people lie to protect themselves because they're afraid of losing their job. They're afraid of losing their career. They're afraid of losing their license. They're afraid of losing their professional associations. They're afraid of losing patients, clients. Sometimes people lie because there's profit motive. There's a financial incentive. There is a, a there is a, a, a paycheck. There's a commission in it for them. Uh, sometimes it's a combination of the two. Sometimes it's just plain contempt. They lie because I don't feel like I need to explain myself to you. I like being superior. I like feeling superior. And so I'm going to just tell you the quick thing. I know more than I'm letting on. There are concerns I have too. Maybe I don't follow the schedule of vaccinating my children as a doctor. And I don't tell you that little bit because I don't have to explain myself to you. And I don't really care. You know, I have plausible deniability. If you do end up getting hurt, the vaccine makers can't get sued anyways. I'm not going to get sued. I was told to say this. I was told to share this. So I'm going to share it. I'm going to say it. And that's what it is. And so I don't think it's wise for us to trust the people that are saying you need to take this vaccine. They can put up the best bluff possible on TV they could say it as often as possible and uh, try and make it true by repetition, also known as brainwashing. They can do all of that, and it doesn't mean that me injecting that stuff into myself, into my wife, into my children is a good idea. That's not a persuasive argument. You're just saying it over and over and over again. doesn't convince me any more than when my kid says, Dad, can I have a cookie? 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 Stop it. Nope. Just because you kept repeating it over and over and over again like that, the answer is no. Because you're abusing my reasonableness. You're abusing this relationship. You're trying to harass me until I give you what you want. That is not respectful. That is not loving towards your father. That's not a good habit. I'm not going to reward that. Come back again when you're prepared to ask politely. 
and leave the decision in my lap in a way that is appropriate. I think so also with regards to vaccines, it behooves us to look at the science. Now, this episode, if you were expecting, I was going to get into all of the nitty-gritty as to efficacy studies and this RNA vaccine is unprecedented and it might have totally unforeseen consequences for your genetic code. It's going to totally mutate you into perhaps a zombie. Who knows? Um, I kid slightly, but we don't know, actually. Um, You know, I'm not getting into the nitty-gritty. That's not my MO. That's not my need. What you need is a general framework for looking at this, and you need encouragement to look at it from the standpoint of what right do I have? And the fact of the matter is nobody has a right to inject some cocktail into my body against my wishes. Nobody has a right to do that. That is not appropriate. That's not respectful. You know, we talked a little bit about abortion and Roe v. Wade in 1973 and all these doctors that have practiced abortions. My body, my choice is the mantra. Well, guess what? It's not actually your body. That is somebody else's body that you are dismembering, you are killing. You are killing that person's body without their consent. And even if you had their consent, their body doesn't belong to them. Ultimately, it doesn't belong to you. Ultimately, it belongs to God. God made it. It's made in God's image. This person is made in God's image. This little boy, this little girl, it's made in God's image. You are doing an evil thing and you will be held accountable for it. My body, my choice is the mantra and it sounds really good. And they don't mean a word of it because if they did, then those same people would not be uh, doxing people who don't wear masks. You know, I saw this story about a pastor who got ratted on. He got reported by anonymous people. It's always anonymous snitches. Why? Well, I think we know why. But this pastor is alone in his church by himself without a mask on. And he's being threatened with jail time and fines. And where did my body, my choice go there? I mean, you'd think we were living in Saudi Arabia. You'd think we were Tuaregs. You'd think that, you know, we went out without a male relative, without permission. You know, oh, you're uncovering your face. That's not, a, that's not appropriate. Really? Really? You know what's not appropriate is you presuming that you have a right to tell me to put something over my mouth, to muzzle myself. No, you're out of line. You have gone too far and you've forgotten yourself. And unfortunately, argumentum ad populum is the rule of the day. And it feeds itself. And unless there are people with some courage, some intestinal fortitude, and uh, some gravitas who are willing to say, no, nope, not today, Satan. There's no limit. You know, we're a society that's renounced the use of reason and we've renounced virtue. And you have people that have cut flower ethics, as I once heard Ravi Zacharias say, cut flower ethics where we don't realize where these things came from. If we have still vestiges of rationality and reasonableness and virtue in our society, we can't account for them because as a society, we've become so secular and godless and we think we can have science without God's word, even though the Christian worldview with regards to knowledge, with regards to studying to show yourself approved, workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, is so much of what gave us science You know, the Greeks, God love them, they were smart, sophisticated people a lot of the time. They didn't give us modern science. Yes, they might have thought about things rationally, systematically. They didn't give us modern science. It was Christians who, studying the Greeks and applying this principle of studying to show yourself approved workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 
put it together. It's like when you have a car that is assembled from parts manufactured in distant places. And this, uh, you know, this factory in Mexico, they manufacture just the seat or this factory in China, they manufacture just the brakes and the axles or whatever. They, they put these things in a ship and they send them, they put them in a train or an airplane and they send them to some other factory in America. And then all of a sudden you've got Americans that are assembling these things, they're putting them all together. Who do you give credit to for assembling the car? You give credit to the people that actually put it together. And the same is also true with modern science. We're getting away from that. We've gotten away from that. It's cut flower ethics. It's going to wither and die. Absent the roots. So anyway, personally, with regards to the vaccines issue, I have concerns from every standpoint. I have concerns about the efficacy. I have concerns about the necessity I don't think that COVID is that scary that I need to go and inject something against my better judgment in myself or my family. I have very strong concerns with regards to the morality and the ethics of, let's say, for instance, an employer. If my employer says, you have to take this vaccine if you want to work for us. I have a problem with that. You don't have a right to insist that I take this vaccine or else you're going to fire me. You don't have a right to say that. You are out of line. You are out of bounds. You don't own me. I work for you. I apply myself at your place of business. But you can't forget that there is such a thing as boundaries. That's not okay. That is not okay. And I'm concerned, I'm worried that far too many Americans with massive unemployment, which thanks so much, government shutdowns. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Scariest words you could possibly hear, according to Ronald Reagan. Thanks to all of that, you've got massive unemployment. And employers, in my experience, when they know that there's a lot of people out there in the job market that they could hire to replace you, all of a sudden... They stop being quite so considerate. They stop being quite so accommodating. They start saying things like, do it or else find another job. When you're hard to replace, they're a lot more polite. But there you go with sinful human nature again, right? Anyway, we're not taking the vaccine. I'm not taking the vaccine. You heard it here. My wife and kids are not taking the vaccine. If you want to try and compel me to by threatening me, my livelihood, my family's source of income, you want to threaten me, take the vaccine or else you can't live in our society. We're going to have nothing to do with you. Go jump in a lake. By God's grace, we will be provided for because God is our provider. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I trust myself to him. I want to handle this in a way that honors him. I have to provide for and protect my family. Not just provide for them, I have to protect them as well. Sometimes that means you've got to take a stand. You've got to take a position. You've got to say no. So, anyway, thank you for listening. That's all I've got for you today. And if you have any questions, comments, questions, complaints, objections, concerns, by all means, email me, garrettmullen at gmail.com. You can also reply via message right here on Anchor to a particular episode if you want to. I've never tried that feature out, but I see that there is that feature. If you want to try it out, we'll see how it works. But thank you for listening, and God bless.